Okay. Welcome to the golden age of media, 1980 to 1990. As children born in the mid-70s, we were little kids at the start of the 80s and teenagers by the end. And this podcast will be highlighting awesome things from the 80s, be it movies, books, music, TV shows, whatever. Want to introduce yourself? Yep. My name is Allie King, and I'm your sister-in-law. Oh, you're going to use your real name, huh? I'm using my real name. Do you know how many Allie Kings are out there? Because I've told I've had people look for me on social media. <laughs> Did you want to put your address on here? Yeah, no, trust me. There's a there's enough Allie Kings that you'll be looking for a while. Okay, well, I've been using alias, so you can just call me Bustamante. I was going to call you Tinklefart, but that's fine. Mm, okay. Bustamante? Anyway. Where does that come from? <laughs> what? Where does Bustamante come from? High in the mountains of Central America. Okay. Okay. Anyway, we're <laughs> going to do three segments today. I have two. Allie has one. Yeah. So my first one, we're going to start with right now. Do you know the difference between venom and poison? Okay, yes. Isn't poison you have to, to ingest? No, poison is if you eat it, you die. Venom is if it eats you, it dies. Oh, shit. Something like that. No. Poison's a glam metal band from California. <laughs> venom is a black metal band from England. I was going to say, Venom is Spider-Man's nemesis. But one thing both those bands have in common is that neither one of them was as good as Merciful Fate. Merciful Fate was formed in Denmark by members of a band called Bratz. My friend Joe has a Bratz record. It's pretty cool. Bratz with like a B-R-A-T-Z? No, with an S. The proper okay. spelling. Not the stupid, like, convenient word spelling with a Z. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so Merciful Fate was... You know, Merciful Fate's one of those bands when people make fun of heavy metal and they do that voice where they go, Satan! <laughs> That's really what they sound like. Okay. And when I was a kid, I thought, you know, this is corny because I was into bands like Metallica, Slayer, you know, Megadeth, like hard bands, and they didn't sing like that. <laughs> and uh, later on, I was like, you know, okay, it's kind of cool. The vocals are kind of cool. Like, and it's it's so bad, it's good kind of a way. Okay, I appreciate that. I, I, I'm getting too far ahead of myself. Okay. So Merciful Fate was formed in Denmark, and their singer is a guy named King Diamond. And like I said, King Diamond does the high operatic vocals. <laughs> and, you know, like I said, I thought they were corny. Yeah. And then one day I thought, you know, this is so bad, it's good. And then one day I realized it's not bad at all. It's actually the fifth instrument of the band. It really <laughs> is. Anyway. Awesome. So I was going to talk about Merciful Fate's 1983 album, Melissa. Okay. But I changed my mind because I don't have as much of a connection with Melissa as I do King Diamond's third solo album, which is called Them. Okay. I first heard Them when I was in maybe fourth grade. Some kid had the tape which is really weird because it's not really like it was a mainstream album, especially in small town, Michigan, where right. I theoretically might've been living <laughs> when I wasn't in the hills of Central America. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Bustamante. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, why did this kid have this tape? I've always wondered years later, did he have a cool older sibling who was like a metalhead? I don't know. 
We're, honestly, that's how I was introduced to a lot of music was a cool older sibling. Yeah. I mean, cool with music. Other than that, she was a hag, but cool with music. Right. Right. So anyway, this this King Diamond them has stuck with me through my a long time. Just okay. been in the back of my mind. So anyway, King, like I said, King Diamond was the singer of Merciful Fate. And that's going to be the first thing I talk about today is them. So it stuck with me because I learned to appreciate it later in life. And then I, I dig, I've dug deeper into what them is about, the, you know, just learning more about it. Okay. So them, like I said, it's King Diamond's third solo album when Merciful Fate was on hiatus. A side note about the album Them is that it features Mickey D on drums, who went on to be the longest uh, lasting drummer for Motorhead, and he's currently a member of the Scorpions. Okay, I was going to say, isn't that the Motorhead guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he was a, he was Motorhead's drummer from 1991 until Lemmy died in 2015. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, he was, the, like I said, the longest drummer they ever had. That's 24 years. Yeah, that's a long time. And especially yeah, that's in a rock career, and roll if you worked in like a post office or something, that's good enough to get a good solid pension, I would think. Right. Well, and like I was gonna say, in rock and roll years, that's like fifty years. Yeah, and he <laughs> like and he's still alive. He didn't even die. And he's still alive, life. and he has all his faculties. So. Yeah, he's not dead from cirrhosis or anything. Right. <laughs> so, what I didn't realize when I first heard them, because you know, I I couldn't really understand the vocals. It was just whoa, you know, <laughs> the occasional. You pick up a word here and there. Like okay. I said, this album stuck with me most of my life. Okay. And, uh, so I dug a little deeper into it and I didn't realize what I didn't realize when I was like 13 is that them, it's a story from start to finish. It's a story. It's like a horror movie or a horror novel put to music. It's an opera because, oh, that's King, awesome. because King Diamond is like an operatic heavy metal singer. So. The album starts with uh, King Diamond's grandma is coming home from an asylum. And uh, they live in this house, and the house is obviously haunted by ghosts or demons called the uh, Aman. And the Aman are glad she's home because they know who she is. And one of the comments the Aman make is, she makes a good cup of tea. Oh. Yes. So them, when them are them or they are what we're referring to as the ghosts of the house okay so the story starts grandma comes home from the asylum and uh you know okay we have to be nice to grandma she's been away for a long time she's not well and then it turns out king diamond wakes up in the night and she walk he walks into grandma's room and there's teacups floating in the air and the tea is being drunk and we find out that grandma who is an old witch is draining king's mother's blood and putting it into the tea that she serves to them and she starts serving it to king diamond or the fictional king diamond you know yeah, yeah. you know this is, this is not based on a true story is not Look, i'm 100 percent into this story don't worry right like yeah. that's why i said this album is stuck with me and the more i look into it the more i'm like oh that's so cool I know. You know, and like I, it's drawing me in. Yeah. And uh, so like I'm following the story. So grandma's making tea infused with mother's blood. Right. 
and this, you know, it's it's like evil magic to you, obviously, because it's got yeah. mom's blood. It's got to it. be black magic if it's not, yeah. <laughs> right, because that's Lipton's doesn't sell this flavor. I mean, <laughs> mother's blood. <laughs> mother's blood. You know, you have to. That's a that's a farmer's market kind of tea. That's some off market shit. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't. You don't. You can't get it at Walmart. You can't order it from Amazon. So. As time goes by, King's in his trance because he's drinking magic blood tea. Mom's getting weaker weaker because her blood's being drained. And uh, I, for, I forgot to mention that King has a sister named Missy. Okay. So Missy kind of is like, hey, I'm not in on this whole thing. What the fuck is going on? You know, mom's getting sicker. You're acting really weird. So Missy figures out that grandma is draining mom's blood, making tea with it. King's in a trance. So, um, do you, what do you think happens to Missy? I was going to say, does she get drained all the way of her blood? No, she's hacked to bits and put into a fireplace. Oh, man, I thought they were going to, like, just drain her completely of blood and be like, now we have plenty OT. Yeah, well, <laughs> that would be forward thinking. Okay. But, you know, I think if they did that... This <laughs> works, be... though. Hack to pieces works. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. anyway, King sort of snaps out of the trance, and then he... uh he lures his grandma outside and cuts her head off. Okay, sometimes you have to cut off a grandma's head. So that's essentially the end of the story. The police come, they take King away to an asylum, and then he's away for 18 years. And then he gets a call. I can't remember how it works. Wait, does the mom die? I feel like the mom dies. Okay. Oh, I have to go back and look. Don't worry, don't worry. Yeah, she probably dies. I don't know. She's probably like, point. we got to kill the whole family at this point. Well, how can like, we let the I mom live like, if everybody else goes, you know? Yeah, so I feel like she dies. And then, uh, so King goes to the asylum. And then 18 years later, maybe this is a bonus track. But he returns to the house later. He, he returns to the house later. And Amon, the ghosts, and Grandma are all still there in her, inhabiting the house. Uh, wait, now the Grandma's a ghost though, right? Because she's got no head. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. It's okay. Well, it could be some witchcraft bullshit where she put her head back on. Yeah, it could be like maybe he doesn't decapitate her; he just cuts her throat. He has to. He has to lure her outside where her powers are weaker. Okay, that I get. And uh, he kills grandma. Okay. And then he goes to the asylum, and I think it's the bonus track where uh, he gets a phone call and grandma's on the phone, and he's like, "But, but, but, but you're dead." It's pretty cool. <laughs> It's like a horror movie slash heavy metal album, maybe slash novel. It's cool yeah. though, because those are also all the genres that you and I both like, like the horror, right. heavy metal, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I've listened to it a bunch of times trying to follow along the story and uh, reading the lyrics. It's, it's taking me on quite a, down quite of a rabbit hole. What made you read the lyrics though? Because I wanted to follow the story better. Okay, and you're having a hard time with the sing. Yeah, because I can only pick up like every third word. So he's like, because he's like, oh, Missy. And I lost. <laughs> so I had to, uh, you know, to look it up. It, it's like it's like watching a movie with subtitles when you're old. Okay, I, like I'll say that as somebody born in the mid 70s, I do use subtitles because I blame it on the loud music I listened to in the 90s. Well, I blame it on my work environment because I refuse to accept that I'm getting old. 
Oh my gosh. Actually, the other day I did have a doctor say to me in the most gentle way that basically I done peaked. It's all downhill from here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm living in denial, trying to not accept that. Yeah. yeah. Just said it in such a sweet way. I, I had no, I could only accept it. <laughs> all right. Is it my turn? I think, well, oh, okay. the only other note I have about this is that, so my, my research is that Amon in demonology is a marquee of hell, but I don't know if that's the Amon we're speaking of, A-M-O-N, we're speaking okay. of inhabiting King Diamond's mother's house. I don't know. That's the only so, other note I have. So it might be like an actual demon that he's talking about or no? Yeah. Oh, you know what? Maybe he threw that in there for like a little bit of extra spook factor. You know what right. I mean? But that is all I have really on King Diamond's them. Them. But King Diamond does have other concept albums that maybe we'll have to visit in the future. I wouldn't mind. Honestly, it sounds really interesting. <laughs> Shit. It was like a horror opera of heavy metal. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Like I said, if, when I was a little kid, I didn't get it. I'm like, I don't know. This is just is what it is. And at the time, I was really into Metallica. And I was like, I don't know, man. This guy with the what? You know. I know. You're like, not hard enough. <laughs> well, the music's actually really hard. It's okay. just the, the singing is something people have to get used to. But okay. then when I found out it was a, um, a concept album, I was really intrigued by the whole uh, story. And I was actually impressed because, you know, they have to write, he has to write a story and make them all songs. And they have to write songs that they have to write music to the songs. And right. They have a beginning and end as individual songs that weave together as a full story. I mean, I'd like to hear Taylor Swift write a tale about her witch grandmother coming home and draining her mother's blood. Right. Well, she's cornered the market on breakups, is my understanding. Yeah. <laughs> the Maybe blood draining witches might be on might be beyond her reach. Right, maybe it's because she's so dull. That's why she's getting dumped all the time. Oh my God, maybe. (laughs) So the one I did is I Thundar the Barbarian. And my sources are my DVD collection. Yeah. um, (laughs) IMDB, Wikipedia, and this one site called like CBR.com. I don't even know. That's what I did. So Thundar the Barbarian, he was a Sunday, one of those Sunday. I meant Saturday, Saturday morning cartoon, and he ran for two Sunday seasons. Too. What's that? It could have been on Sunday too. You don't know. It's true. Well, I don't know. We are of the age where you sat your ass down in front of the TV on Saturday and Sunday and hope that your parents didn't wake up for a long fucking time. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I pretty much got left alone. I don't know. Maybe it was the uh, that was the babysitter. I don't know. I remember. I remember there were Sunday cartoons, but they were kind of like second string. Like they weren't. Yeah, as like as side B, the B side cartoons. Right. The B team. Yeah. <laughs> there was something, but it wasn't like the same. I agree. And Thunder ran from October 1980 to 81, so just two seasons. And I, I was seriously all about this as a kid. I remember loving fucking Thunder. And so, as an adult, I bought the TV series. So comic book writer and artists, um, writers and artists, Jack Kirby and Alex Toth, they both worked on the production design for the cartoon. And you can tell, like, you know what I mean? Like the characters are really nicely done, elaborate, have really um, like elaborate, detailed seat background scenery. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually really nicely done. If you compare it to other cartoons at the time that are more, that have like really simple, big things, you could just tell that somebody who knows their shit how to draw characters was involved 
And they also had famous writers, which you can't quite tell, but this, um, this guy named Buzz Dixon, he worked on the original Transformers and the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle series, yeah. as well as not as much street cred, um, Alvin and the Chipmunks. Well, but it's, <laughs> and, it's, you know, it's like, uh, it's like the one of those guitar players who plays on like kind of uh, cool albums, but they also play to like on a Janet Jackson album or something, you know? Oh, like Slash? Yeah, maybe like that, you know, it's, okay. you know, that's, that's this thing that everybody knows. I mean, you might not say that Alvin and the Chipmunks has a lot of street cred, but everybody knows what it is. You know what? That's not wrong. And Elvin and the Chipmunks have been around since I think before we were around. Yeah, that was, like, that, they I, did the Rocky Bullwinkle shit with Elvin and the Chipmunks. I think uh, it started as a record, like in the um, late '60s, maybe. Okay, yeah, with the high pitch stuff. The Christmas record, maybe. I, yeah, I mean, not bad. I'm totally not bad. guessing. Check that out. Yeah. So Anywho. Steve, yeah, all right. I'll look it up. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. So Steve Gerber, he actually created Howard the Duck. And Mark Evanier, he helped write Garfield and Friends. And honest to God, watched all those shows. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that's not a horrible resume. People bash on Howard the Duck as being a, a bad movie. But, you know, it's another thing that everybody knows what it is. Wasn't it. Howard the Duck like a really horrible, uh, not not successful box office movie? Yeah, it wasn't successful. It's one of the ones like... Um, like Big Trouble in Little China, where they came out, didn't do that great, kind of got pooped on um, critically, but then everybody's like, fuck no, I love that as a yeah. kid, and and bought it when it came out on DVD, and it just, it, it's actually really nicely rated on Rotten Tomatoes, some of them are, like, um, Big Trouble in Little China, I actually looked up today, and it has a 78% rating on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. But 40 years later, 35, 40 years later, everyone knows what it is, or a lot of people do anyway. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I think sometimes they underestimate the power of being a kid and having you liking it as a kid and following up as an adult, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, the premise of this cartoon is that in futuristic 1994, right? Because at this point we're in 1980. Yeah. A planet shoots through the space between Earth and the moon and it breaks the moon in half and it basically like kind of sucks away some of Earth's atmosphere and just wreaks havoc on our planet, right? And they yeah. often show the broken moon in different pieces of scenery. I'm like, I love the consistency, guys. Good thinking, <laughs> you know. The loss of the moon is what, you know, um, makes tidal waves, you know, large tidal waves, volcanoes erupt, earthquakes. And yeah. Thunder takes place another 2,000 years after that. So it's in the year 3994. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's supposed to be this like dystopian world and there's like very little information sharing there's isolated colonies of people and according to the intro earth is quote a world of savagery super science and sorcery hmm. and i'll admit my dumb ass looked up to see if there is such thing called super science <laughs> what'd you come up with no there is nothing the science oh. is not special it's not super okay just just added the word super in front of science <laughs> fell for it super sized science yeah exactly the show cannot decide whether it wants to be like fantasy or sci-fi so it just does everything right yeah here it does here for it all so the main three characters are thunder he's a barbarian he escaped slavery and it kind of reminds me of like coney and the barbarian 
wears these brown boots, a loincloth, this vest and belt, and he has the same weird blonde face frame that He-Man does. Yeah. Like the bangs, yeah. Thunder's two main characteristics are that he's like really physically strong and super egotistical. He's he's not that smart. He's misogynistic. He runs into fights and will join a side without knowing what's going on. Like his two main problem solving skills are like fighting things and breaking things. Like, <laughs> like So that doesn't like, really sound like super science, does it? No, he's not. He's none of the super science. Ah, yes. Yes. And he's known for having these famous, a couple of famous demons like demon dogs and lords of light as curses. And he often uses demon in his descriptors. Actually, that's his like go-to word. And there's this episode that features an underwater, these underwater Amazons and Thundar's fighting this octopus that shoots lasers from its appendages. And Thundar refers to the octopus as a demon of apps. <laughs> And when he was fighting this mutant wolf, he's like, I will fight the demon of darkness. And it's uh, it's a wolf. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, this is all, so is it like a dark kind of story? Because it's all post-apocalyptic, which is, it's a kid's cartoon. Yeah. Like, you know, the world, basically they're saying the world, the world you know now isn't going to last. It literally it says that. Yeah. Yeah. Literally says that. So his side, sidekick is Ookla. And he also escaped slavery with Thunder. Ukla's this creature, he's called a mock, and they kind of looks like a Sasquatch. He's like furry, he's got fangs, yellow eyes, yeah, loincloth. He doesn't talk, but he makes noises, he growls, and his specialty is making heavy machinery run using brute strength oh. and repeated punches to the council. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you punch a helicopter, it will eventually start flying. I guess you weren't aware of that. I guess if you don't have the patience to read the owner's manual. Right. Actually, only Princess Ariel, the third character, can read. Oh. <laughs> but Ukla, he has this um, bow that shoots stunning arrows with this obviously blunted end because back in the day, cartoons weren't allowed to kill people. So right. he stuns them. And his species is afraid of slash despises water. So Princess so, Ariel's... Ah, sorry. They're, they're not allowed to kill anybody. But, you know, you're allowed to tell little kids that the world you live in is going to come to a crashing end. Absolutely. And, and make a point of it. That's one of the points of the show. And and slavery's coming back. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. And so, magic's coming back. <laughs> got a lot to look forward to. But really, isn't magic just probably like really rudimentary science that people are so uneducated they don't understand it? You know what? It actually is, but not in Thundar's world. Okay. The, when the planet came through and fucked everything up, it made sorcery. So, okay. there. <laughs> so, Princess Ariel, she's the one that actually helped Thunder and Ukla escape Fabian, the sorcerer, her sorcerer that had them as slaves. Yeah. And Thundar's just a dick to her often. He'll literally say things like, You can't do that. You're a girl. And no. she's like, yeah. She's intelligent. She's the only one who can read. She has powerful sorcery. She laughs off his shitty ass comments. Um, she wears like this one piece aqua bathing suit as her get around stuff. Yeah. And yeah, her weakness is having her hands bound together. It prevents her from using her magic, which is also a Wonder Woman thing. And I just thought, is this anti BSM messages? Like women don't let your hands get tied up. Hmm, maybe. Lose your magic. So it doesn't, it doesn't really sound like it's a very pro woman uh, cartoon, anyways, though. If uh... Absolutely fucking not. She's smarter than him. She's just, yes. you know, she's better in every way. It doesn't really need him. 
but she's a woman so he she has to take his shit whenever he feels like dishing it out yep (laughs) (laughs) that's really a shame this cartoon didn't last because it just seems like it's full of upward uh uplifting messages for kids yeah my my personal theory is so the year after um thunder goes off the air he-man goes on the air yeah and my theory is like we need thunder to be not an asshole yeah they made (laughs) he-man is there uh did hannah barbera have anything to do with he-man the cartoon do you know um no i don't know but i do okay so i know that he-man was created off of the idea that they wanted to sell action figures so right. he was an action figure that they made a cartoon after to sell the action figures. But I still feel solid. like I still feel like they use Thundar as like a blueprint, but cleaned them up. Well, maybe it's from the same studio, and they just weren't like the 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 people who drew him and all that jazz, the production people. They might not necessarily been exclusive to Hanna Barbera. So true, good point. Because they do, you are allowed to do jobs in other places. You got a good point. Yeah. I mean, I guess I could look any of this up instead of just, you know, throwing it speculating. out there. <laughs> speculating. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Princess Ariel, she's um, educated in human ancient history about, quote, what they keep calling, calling old earth, which is our times. Yeah. And she's the only one that understands the environment. And that's because she's actually the, the sorcerer that had everybody enslaved. She was his daughter. And he kept her like locked in this tower that was actually an old library. So she read all these books and that's how she knows yeah. everything. They use her for expose. You know what I mean? Yeah. And let me just point out, I just explained how the dudes are wearing loincloths and she has a bathing suit. You know, they ride around on these horses. Well, Ukla has, or yeah, Ukla has this weird you know, horse-like creature, but nobody has pants on and they are not chafed. I just want to <laughs> bring that up. <laughs> so you think, the, you think the skin on their inner thighs is just tough as fucking leather? Yeah, I actually wrote on here, they probably have the callus the size of a shoe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, shit. So in each episode, they show something familiar about 1980 society and then shows what they think it would look like in a post-apocalyptic world. Like, yeah. you see Mount Rushmore is surrounded by an ocean, a street sign for the White House is knocked over in the forest. There's slot machines in Vegas scattered all over the sand. And at one point, they actually use it to trap a bad guy. This giant bug was fought in a wax museum and this model of Dracula helps Ariel figure out that the bug is also a vampire. Yeah, Abraham Lincoln's head from his memorial is seen laying on the ground. And I was watching this, I'm funny that you said that, this, there's this documentary called Lords of Light and I yeah. couldn't watch it, but I was finding different clips. And they said, the whole thing is they wanna show 1980s being catastrophized to show people that our society might not make it into the future. Yeah. Do, do they get some things totally wrong when they look at the future? Like they have pay phones, but the pay, you know, they still have a pay phone, but the pay phone's so expensive, you need to pay it with two Sacagawea gold coins. Or that um, the computer's big enough to fill a room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're, you're watching it now going, none of that ever fucking happened. That's right. Well, they've referred to it also, like one guy referred to it as Tarzan in space, one of the creators. I was like, I don't know. So Ariel, she's the one that does the expose. And in the first, like here, so here's an example. So in the first episode, the trio, they visit the city of Manhattan, it's short for Manhattan, and they follow these rat men down into this abandoned subway tunnel system. And Ariel explains what the tunnels are, what a subway car is, what movies are, and what movie posters are, because you can see one on the wall. Like Thunder tries to fight the poster or whatever, and she's like, cool down, it's a poster. 
I was just like, and, and as I'm watching that, I'm like, what poster would survive for 2,000 years right. in a subway tunnel that rat men are actively using, <laughs> you know? Indeed. But yeah, she also explains Hoover Dam. She explains that there's different types of metals. And the way they do it is, in, okay, each episode has a new enemy. And the usual pattern is, it starts where the three of them run up on a group of people, and the group of people are either being attacked, actively fighting someone, or actively being enslaved. And then... There's a few more fighting, 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 and then Thundar and his group prevails. And funny enough, they actually do have Thundar on more than one occasion running up on a fight and helping the wrong person. <laughs> because he's, he just runs up on the fight and joins without really knowing what's up. So, so Thundar's fought too many times. He's taken a lot of knocks to his head and he really can't concentrate. He's just all brute force and no finesse. He sees a fight and he's like, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> So in the episode Attack of the Amazon Wind, when Thunder is seeing these two group of people fighting and like no other info, he just jumps in the fight. He realizes that he's knocked one of the people down that is a woman, right? Mm -hmm. And he's shocked that women can fight, fight the fact that Princess Ariel at this point has already saved his ass several times. And the person he jumps says something to the effect of, a, I'm not a woman, I'm an Amazon. Like, don't call me woman, I'm an Amazon. And then she literally throws him off her and like several feet away. And as soon as he lands, he calls her woman again and oh. says that the only reason why she threw him is because she took him by surprise and that would not happen again. Wow. I know, right? Thunder so is a real dick. I know. Well, then you find out he let the bad guys get away by interfering. <laughs> it's like, you're an asshole. So he's like a hero and he does get the job done in the end, but he is not the perfect hero. And that's right. like part of my theme and you know, hypothesis. So at the end of the women, Amazon Women episode, it's Ariel who has to save the day with this magical showdown between herself and the lead bad guy, which is the sorceress name, like Styria. And she wins. And Thundar says, you know, hey, good win or whatever. And she's like, oh, thank you, Thundar. And he immediately goes into his list of accomplishments during the episode, including like overcoming the demon of the depths laser shooting octopus. And he's like, basically, you can have a sip of glory, but you better not discuss how much you like the taste of it. Huh. <laughs> yes. so I know there's, there's a handful of uh, actually known people on the cast of Thundar. Yeah, I know. I cannot believe it. But this is this is 1980, dude. This is how it was. So yeah. despite the misogyny and all that shit, I actually love this cartoon. Young me loved this cartoon. And I'm still entertained as an adult because they're like, 20 minute episodes and you can watch them independently without an order it doesn't matter right and so there's a there's a documentary lord delight that i could not find oh. and at one point it said that the show was canceled because of the violence it portrayed but this one of the writers mark evanier he wrote on his blog that it had pretty good ratings but canceled it so they could hear the cartoon laverne and shirley in the army i actually fucking remembered that oh boy Turning on Thundar and seeing Laverne and Shirley in the army because I used to love Laverne and Shirley, but I hated the cartoon. Huh. So here's this last part. I'm going to weave my love of Thundar into a love of my love of Scooby-Doo, another TV show. And if you do not want a spoiler alert for the new movie that came out in February, called February of 2021 called Scooby-Doo, The Sword and the Scoob, like fast forward for two minutes because I'm going to give a spoiler alert for the movie. Okay. So the Scooby and the uh, Scooby, the Sword and Scoob, which you know just came out. Scooby and the gang that go to England are transported back in time to Camelot. And at one point, you can hear Velma talking about her love of Thunder the Barbarian, watching the TV show Thunder the Barbarian. 
Yeah, which I thought was really clever is in the Scooby-Doo cartoon, they act like Thundar is a live action show because like they're live people. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Thundar's not a cartoon because they're not a cartoon. They're live, so he's live. So Velma does the, you know, talks about the Lords of Light comment, the demon dogs. And then she mentions Winston Frankensteinshire. And that is the Thundar actor. And she talks about like what an amazing muscular body he is. So I'm like, basically she sexist him. You know what I'm saying? She's like making sex object what's about him. Right. Then the gang is magically transported back in time and they meet King Arthur and they're like having to fight this dragon. And it's Velma that figures out the mystery, of course, because she heard um, King Arthur speak and she sees his like naked chest at one point. And she's like, wait a minute, I know that naked chest. Winston Blinkentonshire, the man who played Thundar. And at one point he does say demon dogs when he sees something. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, she's like, I would know him from anywhere. And she unravels the mystery. It was <laughs> the guy that plays Thundar. <laughs> so it's like an Easter egg for uh, <clears throat> people of your age, our age. Yes. Hidden into this new Scooby-Doo movie. Yes, I absolutely love that because I love Scooby-Doo and I love Thundar. And because the last thing I'm going to say is there wasn't a lot of merchandise to go with the TV show. There was actually none. But I huh. did find one. It was a Milton Bradley made board game. And I cannot remember what website I saw it on, but it had a one-star rating. Oh. And it, the board was like Thundar in the middle on his white steed. And there's these different lines and blocks across the board. And you tried to collect all the battle cards. And that's all I know. And that's from, that's from the early 80s when it was a currently running cartoon. It's not something made later. Yeah, not something made later, I don't think so, no. It's, it smells like the 80s. It looks like the 80s. <laughs> well, maybe they missed the boat. I know, they, I know. And it's one of the, you know, there's been a lot of remakes and stuff, but not Thundar. I think because he has that shit attitude. And, you know, he's like the perfect hero. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. Okay. Yeah. <sighs> All right, I guess we'll all get into our final segment, which will be me. Uh, we're gonna, I'm gonna talk about which was uh, Critters One, the first Critters movie. You and I both bought the Critters like action pack or whatever, yeah. Yeah. But there's a we don't well, I have the Critters uh, action pack only has the first four movies because there was a 2019 movie and there was a web series, I want to say, or a TV show. But really? anywho, yeah. Huh. So anyway, Critters was released in 1986. It was given two thumbs up by Siskel and Ebert. It's the third, what I would call the uh, mid-80s tiny monster movies. Oh, so oh there like was, ghoulies and stuff? Yeah, there's ghoulies. Well, okay, so Gremlins was 1984. Ghoulies came out in 1985, but they were doing production on Ghoulies at the same time that they were doing production on the Gremlins movie. Okay. But the Ghoulies, I mean, you can tell by watching Gremlins and watching the Ghoulies, the Ghoulies had a little bit lower budget. Oh, yeah. And they actually ran out of money, so they couldn't get theirs out as quick as Gremlins did. Yeah, I actually saw that in the theater, Ghoulies. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it scared the shit out of me. I was like 10, dude. <laughs> yeah, you would have been, been a little young to be taken to the theater to see that one. My friend Jessica Johnson's mom took us, and my mom was pissed. She's like, you guys want to go see a movie? We're like, yeah. She took us to see fucking ghoulies. That seems like kind of poor judgment. I thought that a ghoulie was going to grab my feet from underneath the um, seat, so I had to pull my feet up. Yeah. Because obviously it's that size. It can go right under the seat. God, think about it. 
<laughs> so, but back to Critters, which is yeah, what I'm talking about. Critters okay. came out in 1986. Okay. Uh, so those would be the big three of the tiny monster movies that I can think of. I, there might have been some more, but I don't know. Can you think of any more? Because I can't. No, those are just like, I'd say probably the main three. Yeah. So they're all based on completely different premises. Um, and uh, so Critters, the guy who wrote Critters claims he was right. It was written before they even started production on Gremlins because a lot of times they, uh, people were saying Critters is like a ripoff of Gremlins. Right. Even though the premise is totally different. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't, aren't Critters from outer space? Critters are from outer space. Yeah. And uh, my theory is that it might not have been a ripoff, but someone who was writing checks said, you know, I bet we could get a lot of teenagers to go see this movie if none of the gremlins were like corny, making dumb little Howie Mandel voices, if they were all just kind of badass. <laughs> right. And True. Like, and so that's where you get critters from. True. They're but like, let's spice this up a little. Right. Because <laughs> none of the gremlins say fuck. But one of the critters does, right? True. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you're right. So my theory is that maybe it wasn't written to be a Gremlins ripoff, but someone in the production said, "Yeah, we can we can cash in on this. Let's make a let's make a more badass Gremlins." I'm gonna take this one level higher. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna get teenagers in these seats. Yeah, exactly. But it is only it, it's surprisingly enough. It's only rated PG-13. So oh, wow. I guess I guess we had different standards back then. There's not a lot of on-screen death though, so okay, maybe I do, okay. You want are you which one's PG thirteen? Critters is Critters is okay. So I remember when Gremlins came out, my friend Lori's mom said that um, if PG thirteen was a rating at that point, it would have received a PG thirteen, but Gremlins got a PG. And uh, it was shortly after Gremlins that PG-13 came out as a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So was Critters before Gremlins, did you say? No. Gremlins was 84, Ghoulies yeah. was 85, and Critters was 86. Okay. So, yeah. I remember Lori Campion's mom saying, like, that should have that would have been PG-13 if that was a thing at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Because we weren't 13. Because <laughs> of those scary Gremlins. The Critters are like if all the Gremlins ate after midnight. I guess there were oh, the Gremlins, too. It'd be if all of them wanted to kill an old lady on a on a, <laughs> on a chair scooter, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So the the plot of critters is that uh, the critters are called krites, and they're uh, the start of the movies. The krites are being transported from one space prison to another space prison, and in the movie, just like real life, prison prison transfers are a risky proposition, and the krites right. hijack a ship. And the krites are ravenous. So at the start of the movie, there's supposed to be 10 krites on this prison ship, but they have to kill two of them just to make the food last. That's how the, that's that's how ravenous they are. Like they don't fuck around. They, they do a quick head count. They're like, all right, two, got to go. Yeah, we, I don't have enough food for 10 anymore. These fucking, they can't, they can't control themselves. Right. You know, pick the two big ones and kill them, I guess, is what they would have had to do. It's true, like just take them by numbers. <laughs> oh, you think they did a straw thing? Short straw. Yeah, oh no, I meant like if you're gonna take the two biggest one, you gotta overwhelm them with numbers. Either that or go kill a weak one. You know what I mean? <laughs> so anyway, that's what happens is they're uh they're in a they hijack their prison ship and they're headed to Earth. 
Okay. So the, the three most well-known cast members of the Critters would probably be Scott Grimes, who plays the youngest son. Yeah. D. Wallace Stone, who is the mom in E.T. Yes. And I was kind of surprised how close this was to E.T., but I don't know. Maybe she's not that great of an actress. But was, uh, she, was she also in The Howling? Yep. She was in a, actually she was actually in a lot of horror movies. She's kind of unofficially known, or maybe officially known as a screen queen. Okay. Because if you look at her credits, she's in a, quite a few '80s horror movies, actually. Yeah, I, I like her as an actress. Yeah, but ET was her biggest role, I would probably say, wouldn't you? Oh yeah, that's the best movie. Yeah, but most well known. But she is. She's in the Howling, like you said. She's in the first Hills Have Eyes. Oh yeah. She's in that movie Popcorn. You probably remember the VHX VHS box if you saw it. No. Anyway, there's a lot of familiar faces in this cast. Um, Billy Zane plays the one daughter's boyfriend. Uh, I always had a thing for him. He was a hottie McHot a lot. You think so? I thought he said. I always thought he had a weird face. Oh really? <laughs> I always uh, thought he was that. Whatever. So the you don't have to like him. I can. <laughs> yeah. So D. Wallace plays Helen Brown. She's the matriarch of the Brown family. We're the main focus of this movie. Like I said, Scott Grimes, who you'd probably recognize later in life, he plays Brad Brown as a little kid. A guy named Billy Green Bush plays the dad, Jay Brown. He's a character actor. He's a lot of credits. We look at his IMDb. He's one of those guys that um, you see him in a lot of movies. We guys like, oh yeah, what's that? I know I know that guy from. What do I know yeah. that guy from? Yeah. Yeah, the uh the guy who plays the sheriff in town, um, his name is Michael Emmett Walsh, and he's another one of those guys you'd be like, oh, that guy. Right? I know him. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't know his name, but you're like, oh, that guy. I've seen him in a million things. That guy. He played a bad guy in one movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then, so the wrapping up, wrapping up the Brown family, we have the sister played by April, uh, April Brown, who's played by Nadine Vanderveld. And Nadine Vanderveld has a pretty long list of credits herself. She's all like one of those people who's like one episode here, two episodes there. Oh, but, yeah. You know, and like you know, every her, show, though, every yeah. show, she's played at least one episode. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, she's she's a working actor, actress. Yeah. Her career starts in the 80s and goes still present, so. Nice. So, anyway, the Krites steal the ship, of course, because that's how we have a movie. Yeah. And they crash to Earth, and they're followed by two space bounty hunters who are contracted by the, uh, I don't know, space prison board i don't know what you call it they're they're hired they're whatever their title is they're hired to track the critters on planet earth and they have blank faces when you first meet them they just have glowing green heads and they have the ability to uh a chameleon like ability to just change their face into whatever yeah it i'm gonna say who how he picks his face because that is one of my favorite scenes in the movie well he sees the when he takes the, the face of Johnny Steele, the fictional rock star. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, because that's not obvious. Like, I'm going to be a rock star. I'm going to take a rock star face. Like, you should take average Joe's face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're saying that. that So that that uh, space bounty hunter, his name is Ugg. You're saying Ugg is kind of, uh, what do you want to say, like egotistical? Yes. Like, he's kind of arrogant. He's like, he, he's like, I just can't take a face. I need like I need a real, you know. I need the hot guy face. Yeah, I need. <laughs> I need the I need rock star face. <laughs> yeah, I need. A, I need a 
I need a top shelf face. I don't yeah, just right. need any face. <laughs> yeah. Don't skimp on the faces. I need the best. And that, so Ugg or Johnny Steele is played by Terrence Mann. And he does have a cool 80s rock star look about him. Yeah. Sort of in that, it's also sort of like could have been an escape from New York kind of way too. Oh my God, I love that movie. Yes. Yeah. So he's actually. <laughs> so Terrence Mann's also a, a professor of acting. And he's a, he was a, not necessarily a big film actor. He's in a lot of stuff, but he's also a really accomplished theater actor. Huh. And uh, he's also in the movie Solar Babies, which was going to be on this other podcast, but sort of didn't happen. <laughs> okay, first of all, I love Solar Babies. And yes, he played one of the guys from Tire Town or whatever. Yeah. No, he played one of the um, Native Americans. Sorry. Yeah. I kind of like that the other bounty hunter, though, when uh, Ugg tells him, like, you got to pick a face. And he's just like, you know, nothing's grabbing me. So he, when he first comes, he first comes to Earth. You still got his blank face. Yeah. And he that uh, the less arrogant, the less vain of the two bounty hunters. He actually changes faces three or four times throughout the their uh, their oh, quest. True. Their quest to conquer the Krites. It's true. He is the one that takes a different face. Yeah. Oh, keeps his face for a few movies, right? Uh yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I haven't watched I haven't watched anything besides the first one in the last 10, 15 years. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, way to throw me in a minute. Deep, way to throw me in the deep end there. You know, I didn't mean to. Okay. Sorry, sorry. I just knew you had the multi-pack. I felt confused. Yeah, well, you know, I'm focusing on the first one right now. So Okay, fine. Jeez. Since you throw me in the deep end of the pool, I'm gonna go ahead and grab this life preserver and get right back onto track here. <laughs> sorry. So the movie joins the Browns starting their day with brad brown trying to get out of school he's running his uh thermometer underneath the faucet trying to make it look like he's got a really bad fever his mom's not buying that shit because it's like 106 degrees god dang you went too far oh you should let it cool off for a second everybody knows that (laughs) and then you know early early in the movie we figure out that brad's a little pyro shithead and he builds these giant firecrackers which will you know come into play later later. (laughs) yeah so anyway, we, we start our day, we're going to school, yada, yada. After school, Billy Zane brings April home. And to make him the typical 80s uh, movie boyfriend, he has a Porsche, you know. Because that's, that's what the, small town American teen boys have. Yeah, because well, because, you know, every girl wants some rich dickhead boyfriend. And then it's got, even though they're in Kansas, it has a, a New York vanity plate, I guess, to make him seem even more like a fucking Richie Richie guy. Yeah, like to uh, celebrate his D-bag status. Yeah. <laughs> Like like he's like he's Andrew McCarthy in Pretty in Pink or something. No, and, you uh, cannot touch him. <laughs> Not his Porsche. <laughs> and he's got that cool r- mullet slash rat tail kind of 80s haircut. Oh, you can't get away from that in the 80s. So he stays for dinner and uh April's playing footsie with him underneath the table, yada yada yada. Because you know they're 80, they're teenagers in an 80s movie, you know where this and is. That's what that's what we used to do with our feet back in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. So the April tells their mom, tells the parents that they're going on a drive and they actually go to the barn for a little hanky panky. <laughs> but this is about time the critters land at the brown farm. Uh oh. So, you know, this is where the action starts. The first victim. Yeah. <laughs> the first victim is actually a deputy patrolling the road outside the brown farm. 
and uh, the critters shoot him with a quill, and they drag him underneath the car so you don't see him killed. Yeah, don't the quills, like, paralyze you? Yeah, they're kind yeah. of like a stun gun. So the movie director right. went right with down with the cops, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, one cop. You didn't kill the sheriff, you just killed the deputy. No, oh, it's like a song. <laughs> and uh, so, obviously, he's dead. So, he, they kill the sheriff, he's dead. And then the uh, bounty hunters come along, they get that car, and then the, the side bounty hunter assumes the face of the deputy for a while. So as a, in typical Iggy's movie fashion, Brad is the first one we see actually killed. Uh-huh. Because they're teenagers doing, you know. <laughs> you cannot have sex in the 80s and survive a horror film. It's just not possible. If you're doing it, you're dying. Yeah. Yep. So... The Kreitz arrive at the Brown Farm, and they the Kreitz roll up like balls. They don't run, really. They just roll up like balls, like Sonic the, Sonic the Hedgehog, and that's how they chase down their victims. And They're like super the, quick, too. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's where they got the idea for the video game. And like we said, they immobilize their victims by uh, shooting them with their little quills. And like, and they have a language, which is subtitled in the movie. And uh, I guess this is what's supposed to be where they, why they call it a horror comedy, because it's supposed to be funny like one of the critters is talking to an et doll saying like oh who are you where are you from and then when the et doesn't answer he rips it apart right and then when, the, <laughs> and when one of the critters gets killed the other critter says fuck which is like we said they don't <laughs> do that he get shot or something yeah he gets shot and the other critter says fuck <laughs> you're not gonna have that in gremlins yeah, no no fucking gremlins so the bounty hunters hit town they basically destroy everything they come in contact with. One of those uh, situations where maybe the cure is worse than disease. Right. And, uh, you know, melee ensues. And then we find they get back and Brad uses so anyway, the, the bounty hunters are chasing the uh, critters all around town without giving a whole play-by-play -play of the whole movie. Brad, at the end, uses one of his giant homemade fireworks to blow up the critter's ship but not before the critters vindictively destroy the brown home. Yeah. So. Ruin their whole fucking house. And he's like, yeah. fine then, I'm ruining your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I skipped over the part where I forgot that uh, their farm helper was the town drunk who claims this whole time he can hear uh, messages in his fillings from the spaceships. And he really could. Yeah. Because at the yeah. end, that's how they track down the critter ship where it's parked is uh he's track he he's tracking it through his fillings because at first they make him seem like he's just a crazy drunk oh that's right he's a drunk yeah but he is kind of right about this one thing he really that's what I'm and he might be crazy i mean he's, he's right about the fillings <laughs> he's generally a piece of shit but he can actually hear through his fillings yeah, you're like, I'm not saying he's a good guy or anything. I'm just saying the filling things was correct. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying having him in your life isn't more isn't more work than benefit because he's probably constantly going to let you down due to his addictions. <laughs> but, you know. Make your heart sad. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. Oh, I forgot always when I watch this movie as a little kid, I always like uh, Brad had that giant beer can lighter. Do you remember that? I do. Like, I don't like. 35 years later as I remember is like oh that I always thought that beer can lighter was so cool I know you're like I always dreamed that one day when I was an adult I could have my own beer can lighter 
but really what i mean it's really impractical like even if i still smoked i have this giant beer can lighter in my pocket oh true as someone who used to smoke as well where yeah how would i carry that around how do you inconspicuous like do you take it to your restaurant and just set your lighter down on the table yeah. with you like that this giant can and they'd be like oh can i get you another blast be like oh no that's actually my lighter <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah my Liz- lighter is attached looks like the size of an aerosol can thank you yeah. yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at least as a, a, a lady you can carry it in your purse but Oh, actually, I don't carry a purse. I am a woman. I'm not gay. I don't carry a purse. Yeah, but if you had a giant lighter, you might be like, well. I'm and then I needed. Then I would need a purse. That's right. I was like, well, I was going to be okay, but now I bought this lighter, so I need a purse. <laughs> you a giant beer can lighter and your uh, old lady's uh, leatherette cigarette pouch, you probably need a purse. Oh, my God. I used to think those were the height of fashion, the uh, leatherette cigarette pouches. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's what ladies smoke with, okay? <laughs> so anyway the bounty hunters have a scorched earth policy and they blast through this bumfuck town in kansas and basically destroy everything and they catch up with the crikes at the brown house yeah and uh you know brad and the town drunk they blow up the spaceship right after the crikes blow up their house and you think that they uh you think everything's totally fucked you know well you don't think it's fucked you just think they're gonna start over again right. but uh the bounty hunters give brad a quote space phone so they can contact him when they need to and uh as the bounty hunters leave they use their space magic to totally fix the brown home put everything back to right drop everything's back to right even their cat chewy is safe and sound in the mailbox that's right (laughs) but you know who's not okay sound drunk horny dog steve who tried to fuck april he's dead oh that's right he stays dead yeah so the last thing you see is three critter eggs in the chicken coop which i guess they wouldn't notice i don't know uh, and that leaves us that sets us up for a sequel or two three four and would you say a fifth one later yeah well there's there's critters one two three four um uh it's escaping me with the 2019 movies called it's just like a reboot i guess i've never okay. seen it it's uh you know because it's 20 years after the last of the original series but there's plenty in the Critters universe if one looks to uh, dig a little deeper. Uh, yeah, true. Very much so. So I think that's going to be our episode here. Sweet. Nice. Do you have anything you want to add? No, I enjoyed myself. Thank okay. you. So we'll be back again with more things from the 80s. Um, I'm probably going to do an episode of Punky Brewster. <laughs> where she oh gets my gosh. Earth. I actually, we just rewatched her new show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want I want to talk about the one where she gets an RC car, probably the punk rock episode of Twenty One Jump Street. Oh, Choose Your Own Adventure book. Who? Oh, what the fuck's it called? Uh, I love the Choose Your Own Adventure books. I used to love those. I just I'm gonna do that one. The one with the weird face on it. Uh, who <laughs> killed Harlow Thromby? I think it's called. Oh, nice. <laughs> I don't know. There's That's awesome. I, we got some things in the works. Yeah, you make me want to get better up on my game. All right, it's on, Ben. Okay. Hey, you're not supposed to use my real name, Bustamante. Yeah, I'm sorry, Bustamante. All right. (laughs) I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye. Bye.